What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to the Commonwealth Club World Affairs of California. I'm Michelle Miao, a member of the Board of Governors and also host and producer of the Michelle Miao Show here at the club. Our motto is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Thanks so much for being here tonight. We're so excited for our speaker, who has not been shy, by the way, in telling her story. While pitching wealthy investors, she slept on the floor of the San Francisco International Airport for other reasons. Tonight, she's here to talk about her new book and also owning a piece of Janet Jackson. <laughs> Not many of us can say that. Um, and also, you know, she's she might be also here to hand out your first million. Just kidding, Arlen. Just kidding. <laughs> No, but we're here to talk about her latest book, Your First Million. Let's welcome Arlen Hamilton to the stage. Hello. Did you get nervous there? Oh, you know, I, I was going to run out the back if the, people were going to expect a million dollars from me. <laughs> I was good. I was ready. I had my running shoes on. Hey, but no, but seriously, though, I got my copy and I was like holding it like oh this could very well be the road the path you know for for me for us for many of us who are, who are thinking in this way before we talk about the book though and the million dollars that we're going to end up with at, by the end of the hour um <laughs> let's talk about you so i mentioned right as you have in many interviews and even in the book uh the road that you know it took for you to to be here today uh, but I would love to ask a coming out story. It's it's, it's kind of traditional yeah. for the Michelle Miao Show program. Copy that. Just in general, coming out, a coming out story? Any coming out story. Okay, Maybe I can give that, you one. I can give you yeah. one. First of all, I want to just thank everybody for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited for for this. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. I know it takes a lot, y'all. I know it takes a lot to to just to show up, so I appreciate it. Um, coming out story. So my mother's over there. Wave your hand, Mrs. Sims. Woo! Fabulous, fabulous. So I'm 43. At 16, I want to say. At 16, I uh, I had a an online, you know, a girlfriend that I met online. Uh, which would become a theme, by the way. Um, and I was 16, and I kind of was like figuring stuff out, and we were typing. It was very innocent. It was just like, oh, I really like you, I really like you. And my mom walked into the, my bedroom, and I covered the screen with my hand, with my arms. And we have a very, even back then, like a sort of an adult kind of banter. And she said, why are you covering your screen? And I said, oh, I don't want you to see that I'm pregnant. You know, just silly stuff. And she said, what I know about you, you're not getting pregnant anytime soon. And I said, and I just froze because, and then she started looking around my room with drama, you know, dramatically looking around at the walls and looking around. And I said, what are you looking for? And she said, your Ellen DeGeneres poster. Oh. And at this point, I, not one thought in my mind up until this point thought that she knew or had any incl inclination because I barely knew. 
right? And at the same time, um, you know, we were, my mom at the time was religious and it was considered a sin to be gay. So I, it was kind of confounding, but it was also like, is my, I thought, you know, in my 16 year old brain, I thought, oh, I'm going to be kicked out later today. I got to get ready to be kicked out of my home. And so I was like panicking. Um, and then later that day, she came back from work. We talked about it. And she said, I said, are you mad at me? Are you what? She said, I was just trying to get you to, to say it. You know, I've known. I'm just trying to get you to say it. And from that moment on, it's been, it's been, you know, nothing but support. I mean, and this is, there's so many pieces to that where that wouldn't necessarily be the case. First of all, it was years and years ago. I don't know how many years, but it was years ago, decades. And second of all, it's, it's, your child is, is 16, your firstborn, and, you know, you see that. And then um, I was very proud. I think I was like 22 or 23. It wasn't like she was like, you know, going to the gay bar with me right away, right? It wasn't like that, but because there was still a, some learning curve. And I think at 22 or 23, she calls me. I'm living in California at the time. And I had started selling I'd Go Gay for Angelina shirts. <laughs> and you could put your own name at the end of it. Like you could say I'd Go Gay for Customized. And again, this is like early e-commerce and she calls me and I tell her I'm doing that because I want to warn her so that it doesn't come, she doesn't see it somewhere else. Cause he's still like, you know, you want to be respectful. So I told her and she goes, what does that mean? I'd go gay for it. And I explained a little bit what that meant. Oh, you're straight, but you, there's someone that you think is, you know, cute and you go gay for it. She goes, ah, oh. she paused. And I thought, oh, here we go. Now she's going to realize that I'm gay and again. And it's going to really hit her. She goes, make one for me that says I'd go gay for Oprah. Oh, <laughs> so I was like, "You cool, you cool." And then, you know, I've had a, 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 a two or three very serious relationships, and she ends up, you know, liking them more than me. And you know, so so it's been it's been really great. Yeah, moms. Yeah, they're the best. They are. And they kind of always know. They do. Things. Yeah, many things. They do. Um. So you know, the going back to selling T-shirts and selling stuff and ideas. I mean, this entrepreneurial spirit, it's always been in you. Yeah. Yeah. Slinging shirts. Slang it, from slinging shirts yeah. to, uh, gosh, what you talk about? Started a magazine. Started, started a magazine. music magazine. Yeah. And then a w- magazine for women, for chicks who dig chicks was, was, the, was the next iteration of it. Chicks. Um, <laughs> yeah, we chicks. had Margaret Cho on it. It was it was so great. Like we had Margaret Cho, we had Missy Higgins right after she came out, who's like the Sarah McLaughlin of Australia at the time. She was so popular, um, and we had you know Tegan and Sarah, a few a few other people. But um, it kind of went under before I was able to really expand it and get more diverse with it. But um, Margaret Cho during the photo shoot, she I let's just say she did something that was suggestive in the photo shoot and that ended up being the cover, and it's it. They had to, it was the whole thing because we were in Hot Topics. I don't, does anybody remember Hot Topics? So we were, they kind of got rid of their magazine section, but they liked the magazine so much they took it, you know, added it. So we were in Hot Topics. We had like Fallout Boy and My Chemical Romance and All American Rejects on the cover. So it worked. And then we changed it to a gay magazine. It was really awesome. And they <laughs> saw this cover of Margaret doing this thing, whatever she was doing. And they had to turn it, you know, it, they kept it, but they had to turn it across. And I thought that was, when I look back on that, I'm like, that's so like, that's so hardcore, you know, it's like uh, punk rock, you know, it's like, it's kind of cool. And it was just her idea to do it. 
Well, you had amazing ideas. And, um, you know, part of this book is really talking about helping others and supporting others till this, you know, to this day, right? We're talking over 200 startups and startups from black LGBTQIA plus women, you know, own startups, uh, over $30 million invested. So I'm talking about backstage capital, right? Uh, so sleeping on the floor of the San Francisco International Airport while pitching investors. I mean, it's got to be terrifying. I don't know if terrifying was the word. It, it didn't feel, it wasn't terrifying. I think roller coasters are terrifying. And um, <laughs> I was going to say Elon Musk. Uh, I, I find his power to be terrifying. Um but it was more, um, I want to say devastating. Mm. It was more like soul crushing, but it wasn't, I wasn't, I always had in my mind, I, I call, I guess I call it a, um, like a purposeful, um, delusion. I always had in my mind that it would, it was just very temporary, you know? So, but it was like, okay, how, how long is temporary? <laughs> how long do I have to do this? And, uh, as each day went on, and I was in my mid thirties at that point. I just thought, I don't, is this, is this really everything? I don't know if I, and if it gets even worse than this, can I even stand that? Can I even like bounce back from that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The way that I, it's so hard sometimes to talk about things as like the first these days because how old is this country and you know how <laughs> we've always been here kind of a thing but um it is what it is and so to be that to to be you to have this idea and to know that we need this we need you know a company like backstage capital that believes in in us right to take on that role to take on that responsibility Maybe that was sometimes scary. You, you want it to be? I can turn. It I don't know <laughs> because um, I mean, you mentioned it in the book, right? Money sometimes or in the beginning, if you yeah. don't have it, it, can be scary. Yeah, it was uh, daunting for sure. But I, I just it's it's like this uh, risk tolerance that I have. It's also a little bit of I. It's a confidence, and it's a when is everybody else going to get get it together and we can just do this type of thing. So again, it's. Um, it was the scary part wasn't the part about like how do i how do i start a, a fund that invests in amazing people that wasn't scary because it's just a matter of time and i again i didn't know how much time but i was willing to just keep going the scarier part was the personal side which was i don't have any money and my family doesn't have any money and i don't know exactly how we're supposed to figure this all out and I'm doing this other thing that's so big and nobody in that industry or who I'm talking to could relate to this at all. And I, and, and, and I wasn't sharing it with people because it wasn't their business and it wasn't necessary for our conversation. So that was, that part was, um, I, I still don't know if I can get to myself to say scary, but it was, it was daunting. You mentioned in the book and you talked about it, obviously, in, in, in 2017, at least, right? Was it less than 0.2% of VC money that actually went to people of well, color? Or well, it's less than 10% that go to all women, mm -hmm. all people of color, and all LGBTQ+. It's less than 0.2% that goes to black women 
and it's it, it gets smaller every year, which is insanity. And usually, what it is is one or two black women who are able to raise a, a large amount, and then the rest is just not even doesn't even show up on the meter. I remember in the book you talked about when you brought up the statistic. Yeah. I mean, some folks were like, kind of like, yeah, I guess it is. That's what it. That's what it is. That, yeah. That's reality. What What is it like now? Um, I think. I mean, the conversation is totally different today. We've for terrible reasons, but we're talking about it more. I will say that I had a, a conversation. Had a podcast conversation like six months ago with a white man. He was. A man is is a heavy word, but he he was a boy, but he you know in his twenties, he was a child. And is there a name? It's a stupid name too. Oh, okay. like I really don't <laughs> like I use I'm re, I'm really open minded, but he also had one of those like Pemberton, you know, one of those. Kind of names, like, <laughs> you just want to you just, wanna, just like, eh. and it started off with, with, and I didn't realize until afterwards, but um, we, as soon as we got on, he's like he's an in- investor. He says he's an investor and my bookshelf has all kinds of stuff on it. You know, it's like cool books and it says stuff. And I didn't realize this is what he was doing, but he was like in an uproar about like having his tech person just say, you know, we, we need a different background. We need it. We need to get her on zoom so we can kind of blur the background. And I thought it was for a technical reasons, but after our conversation, I realized he did not want to have girls just want to have funds or uh, black girls will save the world or, you know, that, those types of things in front of him. And so we we started having a conversation, and I mean, a minute into it, he could be he truly could be my son. He he was he's probably eighteen years younger than I am. About a minute into it, he said, "I said I said the statistic. I said less than ten, sorry less than ten percent goes to blah blah." And he says, "Is that because well, first of all, where is it, where are these statistics? I need you to cite them." So I didn't, you know, I didn't have them readily available to, you know, put online. But I was like, okay. And then he said, is it it because they're not being allowed in rooms or is it because they're not trying hard enough? Is it because they're not or or they're they're not in those meetings, therefore the numbers are lower? Then he goes on to tell me that in his experience with his wife and heaven bless her. I wanted to talk to her so bad and say, just blink twice, girl. I got you. (laughs) Come over here. He said in his experience, because his wife enjoys, in his words, homemaking. Who enjoys homemaking? Anyway, (laughs) we're getting so mad about Pemberton. Um, Because she enjoys homemaking and raising their child, she is not going out for to raise money like he is. So he he's saying that that's happening across the board. Women are just not going out, starting companies, raising money, and the numbers that men are. Therefore, you have these low numbers. They're not even trying. And when I pushed back on it, you know, he just went at me, and I'm like, oh, no. I said, I said, I know exactly what this is. We're not doing this. And he's like, I just, you know, you should be able to defend this. And I'm like, I should, but I'm not going to with you, you know. Mm-hmm. And he And I have to say, and I'm going to be really honest with you, I went off on him. I recorded some of it on my phone because he was just way out of line. And I went off. But as soon as I hung up, I cried. Mm. Because even after everything I've done, it was just like, what I hated about it was the, the, 
the quietness, the privacy of it, the fact that he's not going to put this on his podcast because he's going to make him look bad or it doesn't have enough you know, material. He's, he's going to be able to just go out in the world and just be. Right? He's like a bulldozer. He's going to be able to go out and be, but he put this on me. And I forgot to tell you the best part. His father is a hedge fund manager who gave every penny of what he, this boy has to do what he's doing, which is mostly swindling people online. Let's go to Pemberton's house. <laughs> well, are y'all ready? How many Mr. Pembertons are there? Plenty. There's Mr. A lot of, uh, young Pembertons, but they're for everyone. And, and maybe he'll change, you know, maybe he'll have a black friend one day and it'll change his whole world or some, something. But um, there are far more people who are worth talking to and worth reaching yeah, and uh, worth turning into millionaires on their own merit. Let's talk about him. Uh, yeah. Share with us some, you know, stories. I mean, you have obviously tons of them, but part of the 200, startups that you have invested in and the lives that you have changed and the impact that you are making? Well, with 200 plus companies, I don't have any favorites. People ask me that. No favorites. Um, so Akash is a good one. Akash um, Felix is the founder, CEO. So I met Akash in 2017. We met Silicon Valley at a coffee shop. Within 15 minutes, I knew I was going to invest in him and I didn't have much money at all in 2017. And I just thought he was a genius. I still think that to this day as we text today. Um, he first, before this company, developed, created himself uh, technology using uh, fake diamonds, like building diamonds, artificial diamonds, that he then sold to De Beers so that they wouldn't have to do as much mining. It's an African founder. He then is now using that same technology in the new company, like... like uh, you know, the IP of it to, he has developed and his team, they have developed a material that is colder than ice. And one of the things it can do is help keep objects in space colder for longer so they can stay in space longer. And I wouldn't even be close to able to explain this to you, but the way he can, they are, he's brilliant. We went in, we got a, um, uh, one of our LPs, who's an investor, like an investor in the fund, we got them to do the technical diligence for us because I knew, but you know, I need the tech, technical. He used that technical diligence to then get uh, a lead investment from Kosla, and which is the same guy who's invested in OpenAI and is the main, you know, the first investor in OpenAI, and has gone on to raise several million dollars. We were able to then in 2020 come back and, and invest. I think we invested twenty five thousand. We were able to come back and invest another five hundred thousand through through our syndicate. And when I met him at that, at, that event, at that table, he told me with all his brilliance that he would not put his own picture on his website because he had lost deals when they find out it's a black uh, founder. And today he is on the short list, or they are on the short list, for a $150 million CHIPS Act grant from the government because their technology is so powerful. And they're, they're in the Bay Area. So he's one of those hidden figures, right? Who, but at the, so if you think about it, like, obviously I want to be part of that. Whether it works or doesn't, I want to be part of, like, if, you know, involved in that. But then you take that little part of 
he deals with all of that, just trying to be the the genius he is and be the scientist he is and all of that. But then he has to think about, can I put my own photograph, in my opinion, on my website and 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 still get as much revenue as possible for this company? Do I have to put someone else in that seat in order to do that? And we all know that. We know what that feels like for the most part, right? So he, he's one. Um, there's so many. Um, um, mommy is a great example. So Mommy... Uh, um, they have a product that helps people, fr- uh, parents from the time they know they're pregnant through kind of the first year and met them again. I think that was 2017 as well. And uh, I was able to lead their seed round, even though we had less money than the next person, came and helped with that and then got Mark Cuban to put another large amount in it and then brought Samina Williams into it because she had had her birth her um, risk, high risk birth happened recently. That's right. And so that kind of uh, did the circulation. And then now they've gone on to raise millions more on top of that. And um, I think Melissa Hanna is one of those types of uh, founders that are really rare. Uh, and then the last one I'll mention is Curl Mix. So, and you can see the different types of companies, so SAS and there's, there's uh, Frontier and then Curl Mix is CPG. So I met them, I'm going to say again, 2017 was a good year for us. So 2017, I spoke for the first time because I used to have really bad stage fright and I can't get me to shut up. And I spoke for the very first time with my friend uh, and we were in San Francisco and her husband was in the audience, her co-founder. And I sat on a bench with him. They told me, he told me what was going on. They were mixing hair products in their kitchen. They had done less than $10,000 in revenue per month. And then he told me something, he told me about Kim, his wife, how great she was. And he said, I said, well, how have you been funded or how have you kind of gotten this far? And he said, "Um, well, we were watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire one night. And they said they were looking for people to be on the show. And Kim signed me up because I was answering all the questions correctly. He got on the show. He won $250,000. And he funded, they funded their company with that. Wow. So... When I heard that, when he didn't lead with that, right? When I heard that, I'm like, this is what we're talking about. Like, who has these types of stories falling out of Stanford with their MBA, with their, you know, degrees and MIT? I just thought it was so, it was just such a perfect example. I think, and I'm going to be I'm exact with this, they've done seven or eight million this year in the last 12 months. Wow. They, so we put, first I was a, a mentor, and then we put in 25000 They used 25000 to hire part-time people to help them package and to get into a shared uh, facility for packaging. They now own their own uh, full-scale warehouse and f- facility to create. The videos from it are amazing. There's just all this square footage. And they do millions and millions a year. They've also raised millions through the crowd. Um, they were, we, I was the first black woman to raise 5 million on the new reg CF maximum. And they were right behind me, uh, right after me. And, uh, and they're just, you know, killing it. And so you have these three, three different people. They don't know each other. I don't, I, I was there by myself. I wasn't with any other fund coming in and clamoring to get in. And then people were like, well, how did you get into curl mix? They're doing so well. They're almost going to be at 10 million this year. Like, yeah, I met them when they were doing less than 10,000. That's how I know them. You know, you, you, if you, if you, I say be yourself so the people looking for you can find you. So we were, we were there, you know, we were set up, we set up shops so they could find us. Thank you so much for sharing. Cause I mean, 
I've stayed up every night since I got your book. And then I knew I was going to have this conversation with you trying to come up with ideas. What am I going to? Where we pitch Arlen? Just kidding. No, 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 no. No, I'm. I, I, I going to be music and lights going. Out? <laughs> the Shark Tank music starts playing. Oh right, yeah. Kind of cool, yeah. right? Yeah. All of a sudden, that's. <laughs> By the way, uh, I'm not going to be the only one asking questions. So if you've got questions for Arlen, uh, I think we have question cards. Oh, we're gonna do. We're gonna do mic open mic. Yay! So just raise your hand, and if you can and- sing, but well. <laughs> saying that question yeah yeah so uh okay we got a question right right here in the audience hi i'm cheryl conti from the impact seat foundation arlen and i have met uh it's actually more of a comment which is this is really exciting to see a room full of people who are also excited about you i have had the pemberton experience and uh i have oh, a, a data point that might be helpful for your next conversation with you know the bros. Mm. Uh, I have been, some of you may know Astia. It's one of the OG female, Mm. uh, you know, focused uh, funds out there. They actually did uh, a study. They, you know, have a lot of data um, and they did a study on, you know, white female founders versus people of color female founders and what they're, how long does it take to get funders? They found when they crunched their numbers that it takes on average seven introductions to funders to get a white female founder funded. It takes on average 50, five zero introductions to funders to get an equivalent black woman funded. And she still might not close the round. Mm -hmm. And when they first told me that I said, yeah, that, that tracks. I, you know, really quickly when I was, you know, launching my first company, uh, figured out that it was a numbers game and I ended up talking to 40 different investors. So I offer that Mm -hmm. to Mm y'all for the Pemberton's, uh, yes. uh, in, in your- I love that. I'm going to use that. I, I think my Pemberton would just say, well, what was her hair like? Yeah. But I, I love it. Receipts help a lot. The Astia really Edge important. Report. You can yes. find it online. All right. We have a question all the way on this end. Um, while we get there, just uh, really quick. I mean, you mentioned Shark Tank and then Mark Cuban. Yeah, great story. Mark Cuban isn't a Mr. Pemberton. No, Mark Cuban is not Mr. Pemberton. No, no, no. Mark Cuban invested $6 million into backstage capital. The first tranche was in 2019, so it was not performative. And the second tranche uh, was much larger in 2020. And you see, you all see him fighting with Elon or Elon's, you know, what what do you say? It's like, uh, it's a battle of wits, but one's not armed. Um, And so it's, it's, you know, I have seen it behind the scenes and I'm not here to be anybody's like um, spokesperson and they're such a great person. I'm just saying from what I've seen, Mark walks the walk. He truly believes in diversity. He does not say anything he does not want to say. I don't agree with everything he does, um, but he, he, our relationship has been extremely respectful and peer to peer and I can tell you, like, I think the biggest argument that uh, Elon is making is that it's not merit based. Um, there are no, there are no um, special favors or anything when it comes to how Mark talks to me about this investment. He wants his money back and he wants a return. He's not calling me up and saying, "Are you? How are you feeling? You good? You feel? How is the DEI work going for you?" He is like, "Where's the annual report?" 
I needed, you know, and, and we're having this conversation. We go back and forth. I'll show him a company. He'll show me a company. We'll talk about it. So that, that whole thing is just so off base. And if it weren't, I'd tell you, cause I'll talk about people, right? If it weren't, I'd tell you, he's just that he just, his thing is not, I'm the best person in the world. I want to have all these great friends and, you know, you know, we do, we do have a great culture, but his thing is mostly black people, except for the Luca guy. Most, most of these black people are making me richer and having diversity women, <clears throat> by the way, his team is very diverse. So he's, he's walking the walk there. Most of the people I know on the Mavericks, cause I spent a lot of time with the Mavericks are not white men who have very important roles. And so his thing is, I just want to be, I want to keep making money. And this is how you do it. You let the people who know what they're talking about do their thing. So, uh, I don't know. Elon is, he's something else. Um, I don't think he's here in San Francisco right now. So. I wish he would be. <laughs> I said year, like <clears throat> three years ago, when before I, it wasn't that I disliked him at the time. It was just that everybody was talking about him like he was his god. And I was like, I think, and I still think this, I think Elon would make an incredible butler. I think he would be really good at that. That's where it ends for me. That will be my uh, social media. And I'm not putting butlers down, by the way. I think he truly, I think that would be his calling because, you know, he, he, he gives me that sort of, you know, he would dress the part and he might put the hat. <laughs> Question from the audience. Thank you so much. I'm not sure how to continue this conversation. <laughs> I was actually going to ask. It's a mixed bag. Somewhat qu uh, a serious question, right? But uh, Elon, you know, trauma, childhood trauma is a real thing, and I think he is the prime example. But mm -hmm. um, can I just stop you right there? I know a lot of people who've been traumatized as children, and they don't go around uh, traumatizing others. That's true. And throwing That's their weight around and being the richest person on earth. So go ahead. Yeah. That's very true. So, and to your, there was a just episode actually on KQD where uh, girls in tech were sharing their perspective and sharing how um, they came to a competition in Oakland in a very progressive place and they f were fighting for attention, literally, and they said nobody came to their table to look at their technology. So it's very mm -hmm. true and mm -hmm. thank you so much for speaking out. More speak out, more attention draws. My question is two-prong. Um, I'm passionate about sustainability and environmental protection because we all of this earth and this is one of the pressing issues. So in your, um, when you're looking at companies, A, are you requiring them to include sustainability reporting into their portfolio, into their operations? And also, are you specifically including sustainability as your operation in your company. Thank you so much. Thank you. No and no. I mean, no and so, somewhat. Okay. So um, no in that um, I'm extremely focused on lifting this current mountain and hoping that the other billions of people on earth who are here will help uh, do everyone do their part. To completely understand the question, though. It's not, there's been a lot of that question of, do you have this as a mandate? Do you have this? We don't even have diversity as a mandate on purpose. Uh, we we want to find people who are doing that already, who are, who, that's baked in or that we can help 
change their minds. Uh, for myself, uh, I would I would be curious as to what you what you mean. Just because we're such a small f- uh, fund, we're just a couple people. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to know what what sort of footprint we would be leaving as not the Silicon Valley jumping on their jets to go have a hot tub meeting in in Japan. That's a true one. I, I read a whole article about that. Okay. Hi. Hello. Hi. I'm Tirza Love, founder of Soulbox. First of all, shoes are amazing. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, I wanted to know, is there a common thread between the people that you've invested in? Is there like something that they mm-hmm. all have that you look for? Mm-hmm. Oh, so there's, there's two different questions. There, it's not that I set out to look for it, but I do find it to be almost everyone. And, in, and mostly the ones that are quote unquote successful have the most success. This is the case is that they truly are going after a, a, a personal pain point. And you don't always find that in founders. You don't always have to look for that in founders and, you know, talk about it. But I start, I, I really sat down one day and wanted to find what is that thing? Because everyone always asks me, what are you looking for? What's a good indicator? All of these things. There's a few of them. But I looked at it and I'm like, every single person, every face that comes to mind, you know, with 200 companies, it's about 500 founders and I'm very much so someone people text in the middle of the night and, you know, it's very kind of close. That's the through line because we are so varied in the types of companies we invest in. It's they are going after a very personal pain point. Like even Felix with his Akash, he wants different places in Africa to be able to have more um, access to Wi-Fi. So that he wants to, you know, so he's kind of back channeling all the ways to make it possible to get the satellites to be, you know, everywhere all at once, even if it takes him decades to do it. So, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Hi, Arlen. Hi. I'm Donovan Kirk from Creator Connect. Hi. Uh, how much do you normally invest and how much are you looking to make back and how soon? So the normally is it varies. It really does vary depending on what year, where we are in life. Um, so we have invested anywhere between twenty five thousand to five hundred thousand has been the general. I I really wish we could get it to be more specific, and especially per fund. Um, but it, the good thing is that we do it gets higher each time. And we also have done, even though we've invested in two hundred companies, we've also done about a third of those have been also follow on. We followed on once, twice, or even three times. Um, I, you know, we're, there's, there's two answers to your question about how much we want to make back and how fast there's the answer that is like what we will do or what we're aiming for, which is like, you know, standard industry standard, um, which is that three X net over the life of a fund, which is seven to 10 years with a two year extension. Um, and then we're, kind of we're behind on that with fund one but you know as we get closer and closer things get better but then there's my answer which is like i just see so much i see so many funds internally and most of the funds even top tier funds are not returning one x and then there's some funds i just had a conversation in philadelphia with josh koppelman from first round and i've known him for years he's really low-key but really amazing he he was telling me about a, a deal he did that was returned hundreds of millions of dollars. It was eight x, and it, to him it was like, eh. you know, it was like it was like it's good, but you know, you know, we can do better. And so it's, I, I yeah, I 
if you're talking as a person who wants to invest in backstage, we are going after kind of industry standards, 3X net over the life of a fund. Um, but if you're talking to me, it's like I, I really want to – I don't want this to all have been for nothing, right? I don't want to do all of this just to be as good as the next fund was. Um, at the same time, you could say that some of our – a lot of our return has already happened in just the way we've been able to change the ecosystem. So I know you're asking for a more specific answer, but that's just kind of how I think about it. Does that make sense? I, I, I agree with you. I, I think sometimes uh, having like a mission and a vision, and, you know, as a, va- as a value proposition for how you contribute yeah. to society is. Yeah. I think we're going to do know. both. Like I truly do. But it's so funny. Like, again, Josh, the conversation I was having, you know, people are really on me about the fact that we're eight or nine years in and we don't have these huge exits. And we, we went through half of that was COVID and a reckoning, a racial reckoning and all of that. And we were kind of creating dozens of other funds, if you think about what spawned out of that. But again, Josh is telling me, he was saying something and he's like, I'm in it for a long time because it takes like, he's like, it takes like, oh, what did he say? He said, he'd been doing this for about 20 years. He's like, the last three years have been the most, like has been like 80% of the money he's made. And he's like, it's compounding. And Sam Altman wrote that article, a blog post like three or four years ago, where he talked about compounding, right? He talked about, he said he was, at the time he was overseeing um, Y Combinator. And he said, I want to have a career where each each job that I have makes the last one look minuscule in comparison. And you're looking at that and you're like, how can you make being the president of Y Combinator look minuscule? Then he's the president of, a CEO of OpenAI. And then you're like, how can you make that look minuscule? Nuclear fusion, right? So it's, it's, I think in my world, if I could go back and people keep asking me if I could change one thing and I don't, I forget to say this, this is what I would change. I would go into it and say, my fund life is not like another funds. It's not seven years with seven to 10 years with a two year extension opportunity. My fund life is either evergreen or 20 years. And if we looked at it from that point of view, I'm going to lap these people. But it's all of this like really um, high pressure right now when I can see from some of these people who are like Midas list people who are like, no, the real deal is those first couple of funds did all right. But this is where I made all of my money. This is where I made the jet money. Right. Hi. My name is Ashley Ford, and I'm uh, in advertising. Um, I am making a transition right now to work on my own projects. And I'm just kind of wondering, when you were transitioning into uh, backstage capital, how did you uh, continue to be your own self-sustaining source of motivation and discipline while you were still in pursuit of your goals overall? Yeah, it was difficult. Um, I think that if it were only going to be about me when I won or got there or made it, like if I could look into the future and say, oh, I'm going to make it because I have this house or I have this thing or I'm on this cover, um, then I would have stopped a long time ago. So what kept me going was this vision, that, like a, a, a true vision, like a vision, that a visual that I could see of rooms like this. 
that just did not exist before. Like they were, they were very few and far between if they existed at all. And I just thought, you know, now we have conferences and things like that that are like, you know, thousands of people and they're just all these people in tech that in, in startup land and people, if you put our portfolio in the same room, like, like that room is in, incredible. So it was like the way that I was able to self-sustain was like doing it for the bigger picture. And I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying I'm doing it only for other people because you can't do that either. If you do that, then you get there's resentment that can happen or there's like this other thing that's like, wait a second, you know, and if you don't have the right traction and people aren't really getting you, it, it can be something. But if you com- combine it, it's like, no, I'm doing this for myself and for my legacy, but I'm really the big picture is is what it's about. It's about the people who will benefit from it because the work that we've done at Backstage has already, I mean, every single day of my life. Multiple people tell me the work, what, what has happened from the work. Like that's, a, that's such, a, such a gift. So that will happen, I'm, I'm sure, forever. You know, the seeds planted. But you couldn't have known that 10 years ago. So that's what you kind of have to imagine. And even on a smaller scale, the, you might have heard me say I call it loosening the pickle jar for somebody else. Even if you're not getting the win in the moment, you may have loosened the pickle jar for the next person who looks like you or who comes from where you come from or, you know, who doesn't and and is just someone you want your fellow person to to win. And so thinking of it like that is how I kept going because, I mean, I've had Pembertons the whole way. I've had all kinds of – in the book I talk about losing $5 million in two weeks when this one dude gets arrested and – he was supposed to write a check for $5 million. Oh, I know that's Yeah. Like, I, there's so much has happened, but that's how I do it. And then, and then every – I don't sail through. Like, I have to remind myself all the time. I really do. Sometimes I get down. Sometimes I get really frustrated. Sometimes I'm like, man, I'm just going to have a podcast and bounce. I'll, you know, I'll, <laughs> we can talk about those, I mean, those things. I could truly make a lot more money in the now doing other things. But I believe that I will be incredibly wealthy based on the work that Backstage is doing. I just know that. It's not a question to me. So, yeah, finding finding that purpose is really the point. Are, are you okay sharing that story about the $5 million that was lost because of that guy? Yeah, homeboy. So um, <laughs> it was 2019 maybe. So I was on the cover of Fast Company in 2018. Thank you. <laughs> I will never stop talking about that. But somebody asked me online, when are you going to stop talking about that? And I was like, I, I was like, I don't know. When did you stop talking about your cover? Yeah. So I don't, there was no answer. So there will be no answer for me. But this person at this uh, company saw that. And um, we ended up talking on a panel together and he, he was just really impressed and was paying attention to us. And a few weeks went, you know, of talking and negotiating his company, it was Nissan, Renault, the company, they were going to have this innovation section uh, and give backstage $5 million to operate, which at the time was just like mind blowing, not to invest, but to operate. So I could build a team and I could do the things and expand our accelerators and all that. And then 
that was just the beginning. Actually, a flashback to the San Francisco office we were in where they were like, this is just the beginning of what we will do. So they wanted it to be something very sustainable that we would do years and years. So this was it. This was the answer. I had already, at this point, um, Melinda Gates and Lorene Powell Jobs, they had been in diligence with us. I didn't put that in the book. But they they ended up passing, and it was the same amount of money. So I was like, this is it. This is great. Um. So we we get to the meeting and it's like my whole team and their whole team and we're crying and they're all buttoned up and they're all these executives, but they're crying and we're crying and it's just, we're going to save the world together. And then the last steps of it were that this home, this homeboy, uh, uh, what's his name, Charles or Ghost. I, I tend to block people out a little bit. That's why I can't remember Pemberton's real name. Um, the last part was like he's in France, he's in Japan, and he's in the U.S. And so he's everywhere. He is the man. And so he has to come to San Francisco. I have to do a photo op with him. We sign papers as he's like doing this whirlwind tour. And this is going to be in two weeks. And then it's done. I fly to New York for something. And a couple of weeks later, like, you know, days before I'm supposed to fly back, I wake up still can see it in my mind's eye. I wake up and I'm just checking Twitter when it was normal, just normal trash, (laughs) dumpster fire, just a regular dumpster fire. And I'm checking it and I'm looking at the trending things. And number three trending was this guy's name, Carlos Ghosn. And he was trending because he was being sought out for, he was, he had been arrested because of all sorts of things, mishandling of money and all. He was the top, he was the CEO, president, main guy of this conglomerate, multi-billion dollar conglomerate. And he had been arrested. And so I called the guy, the original guy, and I was like, hey, so we're still good? <laughs> we're good, right? And he just looked like, he sounded like he was just staring into the abyss. And he's like, you know, as much as I do, um, we have some things we have to work out. So, you know, I obviously understood he had bigger problems. We hung up. I've never spoken to him again. He's never talked to me again. I've never heard from that group again, ever. It just evaporated overnight. This same person, if you don't know the story, is now on the run because he shipped himself in a what FedEx or something box. It's like a box. Yeah. He shipped himself in a box to a country where he uh, can't get uh, arrested. He is a, he's a criminal for that. Yeah. I don't know what he did with the money, but you know, I know that. Yeah. I mean, I know what he did, but I can't say that he did it. You know, if he's guilty, but the running away part was a little much. Um, in a box. In a bo- <laughs> He shipped himself. I'm waiting for the movie, the Hulu. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I actually would watch that. I would watch it in tears. <laughs> Oh, it just, it would be like crying, laughing. Cause it'd be like, so, but I, I'll tell you what I did when I, when I, when I heard, when I heard that. And like, after I had the phone call, cause I you know I, I knew he was not ready to talk to me, but I was like, Oh, good. Right. After that, I was, we needed that money so bad. And we went through so much after not having that money, but I just did the same thing I did in the hotel in Austin Two days before I, uh, uh, well, two days into my entire speaking career being gone, all the month, the six figures being gone because of COVID, I just laughed. And I was like, 
this is crazy. I should feel something different. And I think it's just all that experience of being on the other side of it, of like the ridiculousness of sleeping at the airport and going to Silicon Valley for meetings about million dollar funds. The other conversations I'd had, the Again, I'll, I'll shout out Melinda Gates and Lorene Powell Jobs. Uh, I still think they made a mistake. Like that whole situation was kind of crazy. Uh, just back to back. And I'm like, this is, this is funny. It's so wild. This dude, you know. And so uh, Nissan, if you want to holler at me, I'll still take it. <laughs> we'll do something different with it, but I'll still take it. Cause... You live to tell it in a book, though. That's great. That's yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, it's it's. I mean, who here? Like, how would you all have reacted if you lost five million dollars, like in a in a tweet? <laughs> I, I think we uh we got a couple more questions from yeah. the audience. Yes, thank you very much, Arlen, for being here and for all the different questions. And I'm actually was able. To, I was about to give away my, the mic because I'm actually a French citizen. A black French citizen, as you can tell. And I don't work for Nissan or anything. Yeah, you, so you, sorry you about good. the story. You good. You good. <laughs> so actually, uh, and I, my name is Christelle Mamboziga, and I work in tech. I'm a full-time employee, so not yet. I haven't found yet the pain points that I'm going to pitch to you in a few years uh, to join potentially Backstage Capital. Uh, so in the meantime, what advice would you give to aspiring angel investors, obviously from underrepresented minorities, who wants to actually start investing in startups? Yeah, I, I love angel investors. I, I really enjoy them more than VCs. Um, I think we need millions and millions of them. Um, I became a VC so I could become an angel investor, essentially, because I didn't have my own money, so I wanted to make money to then become an angel investor. So I really am bullish on that. But I will say to you what I would say to like most entrepreneurs, and that maybe you can say this to – I mean, maybe you can think about this for your portfolio, is like – after 10 years of working on this, and even though I'll work on it for another, you know, however many decades, um, I've fi finally figured out that no one's coming to save us, and I have that message to give to everybody else. And what that means is I spend the majority of my time today talking to entrepreneurs about generating revenue, making their customers their investor, rather than every... There, there's a lot of founders in here like, oh, what's she about to say? But I... We cannot be counting on investors, including me. Like, there's, there's, we see a thousand companies a year plus, and we can invest in maybe 10 or 20 of them, maybe even if that, and we invest small amounts. And then we have other emerging managers, but they're having a really tough time. I just met with an LP um, whisperer, someone who has raised a billion dollars in the last decade, and she was saying it was tough out there. It's tough. And then the, and she was saying that her LPs were saying the next two years are going to be really tough for venture because it's not performed well. So now everybody's holding back and maybe it'll get picked back up in a couple of years. So if you have all of that and you have this such long tail of like getting things off the ground, um, I would say I don't know what your source of income or source of money will be to be an angel investor. But this is this is why I wrote this book. I want to help create 1,000 new millionaires over the next decade. And if you, if I can help you, and you may already be one, but if I can help you become a millionaire or even just generate your first million and get you on the path, um, then you can do whatever you want with that money. 
and that it'll be more about like um um you know us all getting together as a as a group and and working with, on projects and investing in each other and doing all of that um i just i can't get conscience say that it's just about taking this same path that i took right and just okay let me just help create all these angel investors because it's like it's a broken system it really is the beauty of it though is that you, whatever your expertise is, whatever your experience is, you can give that. So you can, you know what it's like to help somebody. Okay, here's the first 10,000 to get you going. Here's that. Or, or you've already have traction. Let me put in more so I can have a better chance of ROI. And at the same time, I'm going to give you some of my wisdom and some of my, all that mentorship. Because that, that's what is the beauty of being an angel investor to me, truly. And VCs, most of them, unless they started the fund, and sometimes even if they did, they're going to bounce around just like any other job. So it's, it's, it's just a little bit different. It's a little bit different. But I just encourage everybody in this room to think about just having that autonomy and that ownership of not just generating revenue but ownership. And that's another reason to be an angel investor is to have ownership. We, we need that, obviously. Um, just, I just think it's going to look different than this current system. Hi, Arlen. Rachel Boldhue. Hi. Happy Hi, to be Rachel. here. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm so happy to be here. Wow. Hi. Speaking of angel investors, if anybody is an angel investor or a VC, y'all listen to this girl. She's about to make <laughs> me very wealthy. Go ahead. <laughs> well, um, I'm I'm just fortunate to be here. I'm I'm so happy to have you be a part of my company. So um Arlen's been you know, amazing for me, but it, it's fascinating as a full circle. And I wanted to ask you if you ever had kind of a similar aha moment. And I think I told you when we first met, I, you know, very much resonated as a female founder going out, trying to raise capital. And as a two-time entrepreneur, my first product company I had, I never had a raise capital. So it was kind of learning this, you know, wild, wild west sort of <laughs> language. And, um, after my 30th meeting and the, and the 30th door slammed in my face, I just kind of melted. I'm just like, maybe I just don't have it. Maybe I, I'm just not cut out for this. And I can't remember if it was in your first book or if it was a post or something, but the connection that like just gravitated of like, this is, this is a person that understands me was the nose are just math. Mm -hmm. And it was just so short, right? But it was the energy to keep going. And I needed that in that specific moment. So I just wanted to know just, you know, for the crowd, right. Of everyone kind of has that, has a story or maybe an aha moment in the early days. If you had kind of that click moment of when you were down and it just gave you the energy to get up. I mean, just talking about what you're referring to, it was from the first book about the math game. Um, there's so many times in my life um, where I got certain opportunities because I would just play this this over-the-top math game that most people just wouldn't do. So I got into, before I was a v VC, I was a, a, a production coordinator and a tour manager. It had been my dream since I was 13 and I saw Janet Jackson live. And the, ra the way I got those gigs was, well, one of them was I emailed over two months, customized emails after f searching for them and finding them because I couldn't afford the industry um, um, indexes. So I just found them online, 100 production, co I'm sorry, production managers and tour managers, very customized. From that, I got 20 responses, three in-person interviews and one gig 
that kicked off my career and that I ended up working on arena level uh, shows across the world um, and then stadium level. And I, I did the same thing in other ways too that kind of do that. So it's always been this, I will, I will talk to more people than you will, not you, but you know, I will talk to more people than the next, the next person will. I will take more no's than any reasonable person will do. Because I know that to me, it's just logical that it's a numbers game. It's a percentage game. And so no matter what you believe about what I say individually about answers about certain things, whatever you want to do, that is a big part of the power that you have is what you're willing, the risk you're willing to take on the the rejection. If you're willing to take a lot of rejection, you're going to make something happen. Mm -hmm. Because most people stop as soon as it gets painful. And you should, by the way, if you're exercising, if you're doing anything, stop. But it's that discomfort of, I don't want to hear somebody say no to me. I don't want to hear this for the 30th time. The 31st time somebody said yes to you. And then please tell the audience what your company does. Um, Yeah, so uh, we have a beauty tech company. Our company is called Bold Hue. And my co-founder, Karen, and I have been working on it for, we're going into our fifth year. Um, and so we call ourselves the, the Keurig for makeup consumers. And the reason we say that is because we, just like Keurig is an at-home device that gives you instant coffee on demand, we are an at-home device that will give you perfectly matched foundation on demand through our patented uh, proprietary skin typing algorithm. Um, so not an easy project. <laughs> but it does, it, it uses AI, it uses a wand, it presses against your skin, and then it gives you a perfect match to that. And I mean across... I've seen video across every skin tone I can imaginable. Um, People kind of losing their minds when it happens for them in person. And what I loved about our conversation we had for our our syndicate was that some people are like, you know, most of us, we're not the same color every day because of the sun or because of this or that. You can have customized color for you that day because this is an in-home device. Yeah. So what you're thinking it is when you're saying, no, that's impossible. I don't think I understand her. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, actually, it, she's right. <laughs> yeah. So later this year, there should be a, 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 a pre-order. Um, and so pay attention. Hi. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were in a very different career before this. And what advice would you give to your younger self, right, that obviously took some build up of courage to jump into venture capital, maybe some people in this room and within the next 10 years will do the same jump or become a founder, start their own company, start their own VC firm. What advice would you give to your younger self that could yeah. be applicable? It's not necessarily advice to my younger self because I think I would, I think I did have the courage and the confidence to make the jump. Uh, again, a little bit delusional, but it worked out. But I will say that like if I could go back and talk to her today, like in some sort of back to the future situation, which would be awesome, by the way, I would say um, you're cuter than you think you are. First, of all. <laughs> uh, And you're going to meet a really cute German girl. It's going to change your life. Um, but I would say that it's, it's, it's take, it's going to take longer than you thought it would. It's going to be more difficult than you ever imagined, but it's going to be more worth it than you could have ever dreamed. Great. Hello, Stephanie Hilborn, former diplomat and a social impact founder. 
I have a question on social impact. Um, I was recently told by a VC woman that she likes um, sociopath founders because she doesn't care about social impact and she wants someone to just fully go for it. Did what you say if- sociopath? Oh, yes, I did. Okay. Sociopath. Okay. Woman founder at an event two nights ago. And I'm like, sociopath, great, awesome. Um, I'm really for social impact. Pemberton. Yes. Yes, a Pemberton. We introduce them. I have a crazy dream to bring coaches um, in Rwanda and, and post-conflict countries to be um, mental health coaches for privileged kids like Pembertons in the U.S. and Europe. And so I'm curious about social impact. Yes, totally. <laughs> so for social impact, what is your what is your what is your what does your fun say about social impact? Or what, have, what would you say about inspiring words for someone who is trying to break through on true social impact, not just lip service? Yeah, I mean, um, I just hope that the last decade of my life has been an example of the social impact that I've wanted to make in the world. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> when I started, um, people were not talking about gender, race, orientation. I was, in fact, told in an email when I asked for help. I'll say his name, Jason Calacanis. I asked him for help. I've never said that, but it's Jason Calacanis. I asked him for help uh, finding a lawyer who would work with me for free until I could make something happen. And he wrote me back and he said, we don't talk about gender, race, or orientation around here. You should not lead with that. Um, and he went on to say some other stupid stuff in his in his life that I've called him out on. And then we became buddies, and then he got real stupid again. Um, but that's the kind of that was the that was the landscape that we were starting in. So it was even I think it was worse now. It's not the oppression Olympics, but I think it was worse at that point. I think we've gotten better. We certainly have uh, evidence of this room. Um, but I just I, I don't know if I have a lot of advice. I just think it's in it's just in my work. It's just in the 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year for the past decade plus of just doing this when when all the odds were against us and uh, persevering through that. And the reason I do it is so that founders like yourself have a chance to, to change the world, have a chance in this world. Got one more question and. I get the last question, by the way. Uh, okay, great. Hello, Arlen. I hey. want to say congratulations for the book tour. Thank I am you. on the, uh, the book team. Yeah. Um, and looking forward to April. Yeah, right. April. Uh, conference. We'll talk about that. Uh, my name is Keisha Mitchell. I'm a founder of Elevate Your Now, success coach for women trying to move from employee to entrepreneur. I would love to know, you have said multiple times, I knew or I knew it was coming, I knew it was off, you know, it was just a matter of time. Was that because of the numbers, or was it because of something else that you got the confidence in? Does that, is that something that you believe helps people align to millions? Yeah, so um, it's hard to describe. It's going to make me sound a little strange to some people, and other people are totally going to get what I'm talking about. I just truly, I was, I was staying at the time when I had all these epiphanies uh, at, a, at a, a comfort inn in Pearland, Texas, sharing a room with my mom. We would be excited if it were Tuesday or Wednesday because that's when they had free chili dinner and we knew we'd eat that day. That's how we, that's what we were operating with. At the same time, I was out trying to raise by email because I couldn't go anywhere a, a million dollar fund at the time 
And I just had no doubt that I would. It it felt like it was inevitable because look at all these founders. If I'm raising a fund for these founders and these founders exist already, I didn't dis- I didn't create them. I didn't even discover them. They just they're they they they're, they're there. So me it was like this is inevitable. It's supposed to exist. It has to exist. And I did this, and some of you may know this from the first book, but I was in that same hotel, I was in that parking lot, and I was really weighing, like, what do I do? This is, I don't know what to do next, but I just know I, I need to do something. So I said, am I crazy? Do I need to, like, focus on something else? So I told myself, and I don't know where this came from, and I told myself, um, I said, close your eyes, imagine the world in five years, and imagine that backstage capital does not exist. Can you live with that? So I closed my eyes in that parking lot next to a gentleman who was in a pickup truck with a beer like keg that came out of the pickup bed who had asked me several times to stop by his little party. <laughs> uh, full mullet, exactly what you're imagining by the pool, the gated pool. <laughs> um, and I, I closed my eyes and I imagined the world at that time, this is 2014, I imagined the world in 2020, and it didn't exist. Eyes open, shot open. And I said, no, that, that doesn't work for me. It has to exist, and it has to exist whether I do it or not. It has to exist. And that from that day on, I was like, we're doing this. And I say that I think, and again, this is, I'm, I'm not trying to like use buzzwords. It's truly how I feel. This was the first time I felt called to do it rather than it was a dream of mine. And so that pool was like always going to take me somewhere. That's how I felt about it. Everything else I had chased. This one I was just being like pulled to. And so that's why also, even though all of this is so wacky to me, it's like, oh my goodness, across the world, people are like loving what I do and like every day new people. It also is like, oh, this, this message was supposed to always be there. So like, okay, this is what I, that's why I'm here. That's why I got to stay here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I was monitoring the online chats as well. Everybody's just so stoked for you, stoked for oh, this conversation. Thank you, online people. Um, so get your copy if you don't have it for your first million. Arlen's going to be signing books. I got to let you go to go do that. I wanted to ask just, you know, a couple more questions. Very quick, you mentioned the the tour, uh, the podcast and all that. It, it's all interconnected. It's also a way that uh, you diversify income streams to get to that million. Yeah. So we want, you know, this is about more investors to invest alongside us in these companies, creating those investors like you, like angel investors. This is about the founders themselves not having to wait for somebody to come in and invest in them. It's about I want to help create 1,000 new millionaires who represent the country. Um, so we have the Your First Million brand across several things. So the book I've had Your First Million podcast for four and a half years. So check out the podcast if you haven't before. Really great interviews and, and takeaways. Then we have the video version, which was a lot of really great interviews that started last year. And now we're putting out a lot more content. You'll see that we're documenting what we're doing here. We've already put out some um, episodes. We have some great ones coming out. And then we have Your First Million Live, April 9th through the 12th in Los Angeles. This is my first f- uh, full-scale large-scale event. 
It's happening at LA Live, which is where a lot of things happen. But one of the place, one of our venues is where the Emmys are held at the Peacock Theater. It used to be the Microsoft Theater. So we are going to be there, 4,000 people, entrepreneurs, investors, career professionals, all coming together. A lot of experiential things. We have some great sponsors that are in that we're going to announce soon, Fortune 500s. We also have a lot of our speakers we were able to announce in December. I'll give you a few of them if you haven't heard about it. If anybody's already going and knows about it, you shout out your favorite speaker that you know about. Issa, yeah. So Issa Ray will be in the building. We just announced her this week. And what I love about Issa is that we're going to have an evening with Issa. So on April 10th, we will have an evening with her at the Peacock Theater. It'll be her night very intimate, even though it's a large crowd. And the way the theater is made is the seats go up, right? So every seat is a good seat. And then the next day we'll have from morning till evening, we'll have a full event. We have Sheila Johnson, the first black woman billionaire, Rich Paul, LeBron's agent and Adele's husband. Not a big deal. Um, (laughs) We have Gary Vaynerchuk will be there. Um, A good friend. We have so many other people. Dean Forbes is coming from the UK. Uh, you're going to love his story. Many other people, Sunira Madani. And then we have TLC. What? TLC is performing like the TLC, <laughs> the real TLC. Left it's, eye and everything? Every, no, not left eye. No, no. Not left eye. What are you talking about? Left eye has passed away. Do you know that? I, I know, I know. I yeah. Just, I mean, but that type of, that left eye will not be there. She will be there in spirit, though, because I have actually seen them. They do George Michael and hologram now. No, it's no hologram, but I have seen them live at the Hollywood Bowl. And they it's so great when they fin. I'll give a little spoiler alert. At the end of the concert, they they have the DJ and this DJ says, give it up for left eye because she is so embedded into their music. Yeah. Yeah. So it will be the full full concert that they do in arenas. They're doing at the Peacock Theater for us to close out the event. I am. Has anybody ever seen the episode of Fresh Prince where Will and uh, Carlton dance to Belle Biv DeVoe? I think it's on there. And they, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be real cool. And then when certain songs hit, you're gonna see me just sh- just kind of shuffling back. <laughs> just you know, uh, very excited about that. We have some uh, really really incredible things in this first year. I didn't I didn't want to play a small ball in the first year. I really wanted to put us on the map. And the whole idea is um, every year, so again, the thousand millionaires, every year, if we have helped you uh, make your first million, you will walk the stage and we will track that as well. So over the decade, it's a decades long series. We want to be able to say and show and convene and everyone on stage will be a millionaire or a billionaire. Wow. wow. Well, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, so go, go to, go to, uh, thank you. Go to yourfirstmillion.live. Yourfirstmillion.live. You can go there right now if you want to. Go ahead. We'll wait. And I'm going to give y'all uh, a deep, deep discount. If you type in live, L-I-V-E, into any of the passes, you'll get a deep, deep discount. So just put take a note for that. Do that before that goes away. And uh, you can also use ESA, but other people are using ESA right now. But live is yours. <laughs> live is yours. Arlen, thank you so much for being here and coming back to the Commonwealth Affairs in California. Thank you for this book. Let's go do some book signing. We're about to do some book signing. Let's do it. Thank you.